the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, when the house of Israel lived in their own land, they defiled it by their ways and their deeds. Their ways before me were like the uncleanness of a woman in her menstrual impurity. So I poured out my wrath upon them for the blood that they had shed in the land, for the idols which, with which they had defiled it. I scattered them among the nations and they were dispersed through the countries. In accordance with their ways and their deeds, I judged them. But when they came to the nations, wherever they came, they profaned my holy name, in that people said of them, these are the people of the Lord, and yet they had to go out of his land. But I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations to which they came. Therefore, Say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all uncleannesses and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. And I will deliver you from all your uncleannesses, and I will summon the grain and make it abundant, and lay no famine upon you. I will make the fruit of the tree and the increase of the field abundant, that you may never again suffer the disgrace of famine among the nations. Then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good, and you will loathe yourselves for your iniquities and your abominations. It is not for your sake that I will act, declares the Lord God. Let that be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded of your ways, O house of Israel. Thus says the Lord God, on the day that I cleanse you from all your iniquities, I will cause the cities to be inhabited and the waste places shall be rebuilt. And the land that was desolate shall be tilled, instead of being the desolation that it was in the sight of all who passed it by. And they will say, this land that was desolate has become like the Garden of Eden, and the waste and desolate and ruined cities are now fortified and inhabited. Then the nations that are left all around you shall know that I am the Lord. I have rebuilt the ruined places and replanted that which was desolate. I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it. Thus says the Lord God, this also I will let the house of Israel ask me to do for them, to increase their people like a flock. Like the flock for sacrifices, like the flock at Jerusalem during her appointed feasts, so shall the waste cities be filled with flocks of people. Then they will know that I am the Lord. Our subject this evening is reputation. Just this week, the reputation of Swiss banking has been rocked 
uh, with enormous financial consequences. And Boris Johnson has been fighting for his reputation in front of the Parliamentary Privileges Committee. I'll let you judge how well he's doing with that. And reputation can be closely tied to a name. So we work hard to establish a brand name. You protect the honour of your family's name. Or if you're wrongly accused, you'll want to clear your own name. I'm told that at Sandhurst, where all British army officers are trained, that the training sergeants place a huge importance on reputation. In their words, it's possible to lose your name, which is seen as the greatest shame imaginable. Well, this evening we're considering God's reputation, and God's reputation is tied to him being the creator, the rescuer, and the judge of all. And his reputation, um, the way he made it, the way it was established, the way he made his name, as it were, was by initially rescuing a people called Israel. But in 585 BC, when Ezekiel, uh, the prophet, is speaking, it's all gone horribly wrong. God's people have been abandoned and scattered all over the world, a combination of refugees and deportees. And in some sense, the rescuing God has lost his name. And the question is, what's he going to do about it? Well, first, we get the problem explained in verses 16 to 21. And the problem is the ruined reputation of God because of sin. And Ezekiel spells that problem out in three logical steps. So to start with, defilement in verse 16 to 18. Israel's evil, their evil actions, had defiled um, the land, the place of God's residence. They'd trashed God's house Um, like a teenage house party that's gone way um, out of control. And Ezekiel uses the image of ritual uncleanliness here to symbolize moral uncleanliness. So the innocent shedding of blood in menstruation in verse 17 illustrates the guilty shedding of blood in verse 18. So verse 18, the Lord says, So I poured out my wrath upon them for the blood that they had shed in the land for the idols with which they had defiled it. Israel had completely morally defiled the land um, with their shedding of blood. And that term speaks of um, the oppression of the poor and violence and murder, and perhaps worst of all documented in Ezekiel, um, the sacrifice of children uh, to foreign gods. Just imagine what it takes for a society uh, to be willing to, to stoop that low and do that. And God, in his goodness, he cannot stand that. And after hundreds of years of patience with them, he had to cut them off. So verse 19, dispersion. The defilement led to God's judgment um, through the imperial power of the Babylonians, who utterly defeated Israel, uh, dispersing refugees and to the surrounding countries, and some deportees like Ezekiel uh, to Babylon. Now, I don't know if you've um, seen Downton Abbey, and this is a flawed metaphor in so many ways, Um, but if you imagine that the entire uh, Downton estate is the nation of Israel, God's people, and all the workers' cottages, all the different industries going on on that estate, Um, but if you imagine that those living there, they were engaged in the shedding of blood, of total injustice, impression of the weak, and violence, extreme cruelty to children. And after trying again and again and again to help them, um, Lord Grantham, for the cause of all that is good, 
and had to abandon them and let them be overrun. He could not tolerate that evil going on uh, anymore. But as the lord of the estate, um, leaving it to ruin uh, and being overtaken by others would be the talk of the national press, wouldn't it? Um, it would be a reputational disaster. Um, lord Grantham would be a laughingstock. Um, have you seen what's happened to that lord's land? People would say. And that is what happened. Um, the dispersion led in verse 20, 20 and 21 to the disrespect and the desecration of God's name. We see that really clearly in verse 20. But when they came to the nations, wherever they came, they profaned my holy name, in that people said of them, these are the people of the Lord, and, and yet they had to go out of his land. So if the Lord is meant to be the God of life, the God of rescue, what does it make him look like if his people are either dead or deported? He couldn't even rescue his first people, um, let alone be the God of the whole world. Defilement led to dispersion, which led to the defamation of God's name. The sin of his people had caused the Lord to lose his name. And the more we understand who the Lord is, the more we're pained by the defaming of his name. There was a man called Henry Martin who lived in the 18th century and he took the gospel to India and the Middle East. And he was largely, um, so records say, a calm man, apart from when someone insulted the Lord Jesus. He was once visiting a house and someone expressed to him that the current prince of Iran had killed so many Christians that Christ must have taken hold of Muhammad's skirt and begged him to stop, sort of painting a verbal picture of Jesus kneeling before Muhammad. And Henry Martin wrote later that he was cut to the soul at this blasphemy. And when his Muslim host saw Henry's discomfort, he asked him what was wrong. And Henry Martin replied, I could not endure existence if Jesus were to always thus be dishonored. See, Henry Martin was a man who knew who the Lord Jesus was, who is worthy of all honor. So it's a big problem that the Lord's people's sin has caused his name to be internationally diminished, dishonored, desecrated. And so he had to deal with it. And so he did, uh, and so he does in verses 22 to 32. And we see the solution to that problem, the radical transformation of God's people. Now, we know that the transformation Ezekiel is speaking about um, comes about in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as the heart of the problem was his people's sin, so the center of that transformation, uh, the key part of it, is the reformation of the people themselves. And we see that reformation in verses 28, 25 to 28. And stage one of that is purification. Just notice the emphasis there in verse 25. The Lord says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And the Lord would clean, clean, clean his people. And I don't know if you've seen one of those YouTube videos about how to super clean something. Um, you think you know what a clean car or whatever it is looks like until you've seen Chris Fix um, clean an engine bay. Uh, he takes it to the next level, goes to every nook, every cranny, seen and unseen, cleaning, polishing, protecting, so that it's perfect, better even than when it came out of the factory. 
And just as the Lord is perfectly holy, 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 he promises to make his people perfectly clean. And we know that purification comes in the person of the Lord Jesus as he pays for our sins once and for all on the cross. If you trust in his death in your place, God sees you as pure, as spotless, as perfect. As the hymn goes, there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunged beneath the flood, lose all their guilty stains. In the Lord Jesus, no matter what we've done, and we are perfectly welcome in his house again. Stage one of Reformation is purification. Stage two is perception. Um, The heart of God's people, that is their inner beings, their true selves, um, have been calcified like stone. They've been imperceptive to the word of God. It just bounces straight off them. And in the Bible, this is lost humanity's fundamental problem. Hearts that won't listen to the Lord God. Well, the Lord says in verse 26, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. In 1967, Dr. Christian Barnard made the front page of Time magazine for completing uh, the first successful uh, human heart transplant. Well, the Lord Jesus had really been doing it for a long time before him. He regenerates us. He replaces our stony, impenetrable hearts with soft, fleshy ones. And we have a new perception. Rather than God's words bouncing off our rock-hard hearts, and they will press in and penetrate right into our inner being. Like the difference between trying to get a drawing pin and putting it in uh, the stone floor below our feet or putting it in uh, one of my fleshy arms. I'm pretty soft, so I'll definitely uh, feel it. And the Lord's people will have perceptive hearts. Maybe you know that change in your own life. Um, the Lord's words having no impact on you. And then suddenly they cut straight through us. And we're able to properly respond to him. And to top it off from purification and perception, uh, we get a new power in verse 27. The Lord says, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. The Lord will put his own spirit uh, in his people. God himself will be working in them to cause them to obey his good ways. Not only will they want to do the right thing, but they'll have the power to do it. Isn't that attractive? And don't we all want that, to be able to do the good that we want to do? And I think if we call ourselves Christians here this evening, we can forget what an incredible privilege that is. For hundreds of years in Ezekiel's day, Israel had fallen into the same sins again and again and again and again. And we'll know something of that feeling I'm sure. But it's not inevitable anymore. We still live in a world affected by sinful flesh that fights against the good we want to do. And we'll be in that fight until Jesus returns with his new creation. But his spirit gives us the power to fight now. As we bring the word of God to bear on our lives, and with the spirit of God, we can actually change, which is good news for someone like me. And I was listening to a parent speak the other day, 
Um, one of their children was being uh, persistently a real nuisance and actually uh, causing a bit of a downer for the whole family. And this parent took them aside and they shared a Bible verse with them and prayed uh, with their child. And almost immediately, um, it changed that child's behavior and changed that family's week. Now, in some ways, that is an absolutely uh, terrible example uh, because and we may know from our own experience that it doesn't always as simple as that. Uh, these things can take years and years and years. But the Spirit of God working through the Word of God is very powerful. And we can change now a new power. And in light of that, there's nothing that really compares to being reformed by God, what God does for us to be purified rather than defiled, to be perceptive rather than impenetrable, and to be actually empowered to walk in the way of God rather than powerless to do so on our own. This reformation of God's people is central to solving the problem of God's reputation because it means he can now achieve a permanent rescue for his people. And we see that in verse 24, verse 29 and 30. And God regathers his people in verse 24, and he makes it so they'll never experience disaster again in verse 29 and 30. Now, Jesus doesn't promise an easy life for any of us now, but he does promise never to leave us or forsake us, and that he'll bring us safely into his heavenly kingdom. And because he's reformed us, uh, he's reforming us now, and will perfectly reform us one day, um, we can be sure we'll never be kicked out of his presence again. And the Lord's reputation, therefore, will never be at risk again. But there's one thing that the Lord wants us to be totally clear of uh, in this transformation. And that is it's based on absolutely no merit of our own. Um, and that's, we see a revulsion in 20, verse 22 to 23 and verse 31 to 32. Let's have a look at verse 22 together. The Lord says, Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And it's so easy, isn't it, when we receive a gift or receive a pardon um, to gain a sense of entitlement. And for a thousand, for a thousand years, um, the Lord had his people's back completely and even though he just handed them over to the ultimate national punishment, they may be tempted to think that either there's something they've done or something inherent in them, which means the Lord is now saying he will transform them and restore them. But no, um, the Lord wants them, wants anyone, uh, wants us to know that we have absolutely no redeemable features um, before him. He rescues us because of who he is, and the rescuing Lord of all the earth. And in part, what that, that brings in us is a revulsion um, at ourselves for what we have done. So verse 31, um, the Lord puts it like this. He says, Then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good, and you will loathe yourselves and for your iniquities and your abominations. So when we remember our evil deeds before we began following the Lord Jesus, or since we've been following him and we've not lived in line with his spirit, and we should feel a right revulsion. 
Um, I know two Christian men quite well uh, who they look, they look physically sick um, when they speak about their old drinking habits and the corresponding behavior that brought along. And my life is certainly littered with things that I'm deeply ashamed, even when I've been professing to follow the Lord Jesus. I feel physically sick when I think of how I treated some Christians I found difficult and when I was a student. But here is a mark of a reformed believer, and this is true spirituality, having a greater and greater revulsion at our own sin. Now that doesn't mean we have to walk around with a weight of guilt uh, on our shoulders. Um, some secular counsellors uh, may encourage us that uh, really we're not that bad, um, we don't need to feel guilty because it's not our fault, and we have all these legitimate excuses for what we've done. I don't know how um, that works uh, for you. But the Lord says that we really are that bad, but that we don't have to feel guilty because he's taken that guilt away completely in the atoning sacrifice of his son. We have been completely forgiven. But in this life, we're not to completely forget that. In verse 32, the Lord says, it is not for your sake that I will act, declares the Lord God. Let that be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded for your ways, O house of Israel. It is not because of us that we're saved. Um, It's because of the Lord's name, uh, his reputation. And if we do have any self-knowledge at all, um, that is actually really good news for us. Because we can be absolutely sure that God will bring about this transformation and rescue us. Because it's not reliant on us in any way whatsoever, but on the Lord's absolute commitment to his own reputation. So finally, we see the result of that transformation in verses 33 to 38. And that is the result of the restoring of God's rescuing reputation. And this happens here in two ways. Uh, Firstly, externally. When God restores his people, the world will be in no doubt about who he is. Uh, We see that in verse 35. Uh, God says, and they will say, this land that was desolate has become like the Garden of Eden, and the waste and desolate and ruined cities are now fortified and inhabited. Then the nations that are left all around you shall know that I am the Lord. I have rebuilt the ruined places and replanted that which was desolate. I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it. Now the land becoming the Garden of Eden there, it's a picture of the earth becoming what the Lord always intended it to be. And men and women partnering with him to cultivate a perfect world for God's glory. It's life as it was meant to be. Um, the life of God filling every corner of the cosmos. And that is what Jesus promises will fully happen and when he brings about his sinless and incorruptible new creation. And at that time, um, if we've not yet aligned ourselves with the Lord Jesus, we will witness the rescue of God, but it'll be from the outside. There'll be absolutely no doubt about who he is and what he's like, um, but we'll tragically miss out on being with him. But as we saw earlier, um, now through the Lord Jesus, um, as people accept his rescue and he gives us his spirit, our lives do start sort of lifening up, if I can put it like that. We start to live more and more in line with how um, the Lord created life to be. And those who do not know the Lord Jesus, 
and can see the impact that has on people who follow Jesus' lives. And it serves to enhance his reputation now. I don't know if you've experienced this, but so often I've witnessed how the transformed and the transforming lives of Christians plays a significant role in someone else coming to follow the Lord Jesus. A friend of mine called James became a Christian as a teenager, um, largely through another boy at school. Um, The boy was a public Christian. Uh, James actually said that he was pretty terrible at at explaining or answering questions about following Jesus. Um, What he said never really made any sense uh, and wasn't uh, very compelling. But what was compelling was the life um, this 15 and 16-year-old boy led. Consistently over years, he was a good friend. He didn't always follow the crowd when it went the wrong way. He was honest. He worked hard to put bad things in his life to death. And he sought to live the way Jesus wanted him to. And after a few years of James coming from a completely um, unchristianized background, um, James thought there's something undeniably going on uh, in this guy's life. And that caused him to investigate the person of Jesus for himself. And eventually, uh, he responded to Jesus in repentance and faith, uh, recognizing um, the Lord's saving reputation. So transformation does lead to the Lord's reputation being restored um, externally, as it were, uh, but also internally in verse 37 and 38. And given what we've seen, here's an incredible thing in verse 37. Um, So far, the Lord has been the prime mover in everything, uh, the prime mover, um, the first person in all these things, in restoring his name. But there's one thing he actually allows us to do in verse 37. Thus says the Lord God, this also I will let the house of Israel ask me to do for them, to increase their people like a flock, like the flocks of sacrifices, like the flock at Jerusalem during her appointed feasts. So shall the way cities be filled with the flocks of people. Then they will know that I am the Lord. So what can we do? We can pray that the Lord would increase his flock and he promises he will do it. It will be like Jerusalem on festival day, a street ram from shopfront to shopfront and with flocks heading towards the temple. And like all the prophecies in this section of Ezekiel, and this will be finally fulfilled in the new creation, uh, when we do see innumerable people from every tribe and tongue and nation physically in the city of God, in in an incorruptible life with him. Um, Then we will know unquestionably, in an unfiltered way completely, and what the Lord is all about, that he is the rescuing God of all. Uh, But it begins now. And I wonder if we asked Ezekiel, uh, how can we be uh, most involved ourselves in restoring the Lord's reputation, and maybe knowing what that reputation is ourselves, and what would he say? Well, it seems it would be asking the Lord to increase his flock, in praying for people uh, to come to know him. I know some of, the, um, some of you, our younger city workers, uh, meet on a Tuesday morning to pray for the salvation of the city. And there's no better way to know God's reputation for ourselves and no better way to be involved in a tiny way in restoring it than being committed to something like that. And it's my, uh, my very limited observation uh, that those who know most about what the Lord is really like, they're not necessarily theologians, or Christian boffins who can give you all the answers you want about the Bible. 
Um, it is Christians who care deeply about restoring the Lord's reputation, as he does, who give their lives for the sake of the lost, who delight in the transformation that Jesus brings, who takes putting sin to death and representing Jesus very seriously and devote themselves to praying that the Lord would increase his flock. The Lord is at work now at transforming people and restoring his reputation. And that's what he is doing. Um, and one of the joys of this life is that he invites us uh, to join him in a small way in that. Let me lead us in prayer. Our Father, we thank you for the transformation you bring in the Lord Jesus. Thank you that because of him, we can know you now by your spirit and look forward to living with you eternally. Please give us great concern for your reputation and help us to know you better as we seek to play our small part in restoring it. Amen.